This is Hawkside Guns Podcast. Hello and welcome, y'all, to Hawkside Guns Podcast. Both of you listening, uh, we've got uh, we've got some cool <laughs> shit going on. Of course, with me is Jake. Jake, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. As I understand it, you're doing pretty well, despite the fact that you had some gun-related activities this week. <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I'm very good in spite of some gun-related activities, and I'm very good because of some. Yeah, don't worry, y'all. Um, he didn't get shot or nothing. It's all, no, it's no, all no, no. fine. That, more or less, uh, what this is going to be more about than anything else is the pitfalls of two things. First of all, if you are going to be somebody who carries a firearm... And second of all, if you're going to every once in a while be around people who are not into firearms. Sure. Uh, first one was actually one, and, and both of them are in ways in which we could consider me to be an idiot. All right. I, I'm always down for those. <laughs> it's always good. Well, the uh, the first one was, uh, you know, the ever since we, I, I started doing this podcast with you, you've heard me complain about glasses. Sure. And they've got me in trouble because I was in uh, a, well, I don't know if you guys have the same uh, chain down there, but we have a chain of uh, gas station convenience stores that's very prominent around here called Wawa. We have none of those, no. W-A-W-A, Wawa. If you're on the East Coast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anywhere else, I'm not sure. Um, So I was filling up my work truck at Wawa with gas, and I proceeded to use my shirt tail to clean my glasses. You bastard. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've been carrying a firearm for a couple of years now, and it's just kind of gotten used to the fact that I do, and sometimes kind of comfortable enough that I forget that it's there. And it's not really a great idea to do so, because uh, next thing I know, I had someone behind me yelling, Sir, sir. And as I turn around, oh, I no, see... no. <laughs> I see a Delaware State police officer. Oh, good. And, yeah. And he and he is going, sir, are you armed? And I said, um, yes, yes. <laughs> and I said, not only that, but I, uh, you know, I am actually a permit carry a permit <laughs> uh, English. I do have a concealed carry permit. And he said, sir, I'm going to need to see that. And the other thing is, before I was smart enough to do and. If you, with a police officer who's realized that you're armed, it's very good to ask things before you move quickly. I am going to reach my hand into this pocket as yeah. delicately as possible. Yeah. Like, Sir, it is in my back pocket. May I get, may I retrieve that? And, uh, and, and everything turned out to be perfectly fine because I am, it, it's something that is, you are licensed to carry in that state. Yeah. And, and actually in, in several states, I mean, I, there are a couple of places in the world that I could have been in which this would have gone a whole lot differently, but, um, I, though it is time consuming and expensive, I have gone through the process to become licensed to carry a firearm. Uh, with that said, there are certain states in which what I had done, just lifting up my shirt to make it visible, that would have been illegal. Uh, that would have been called brandishing, actually, is the, yes. the term that they're going to get you with with that particular action. 
Yes. So even the, even just in the though I wasn't legally allowed to carry a firearm, there are certain states in which just doing that, cleaning my glasses, would have gotten me at least cited. Yeah. No, there that could depending on where you were in Texas, believe it or not, that can also happen. Uh, like if you were in your car, and you know, let's say, and I've I've heard of this happening from some police friends of Shannon's guy was carrying, he was an off duty police officer, but not on duty carrying a shoulder holster mm-hmm. with his firearm, adjusted his, his coat and his seatbelt and the car next to him saw the gun in the holster and he was cited for brandishing. Uh, well, I mean, I, the, I've only, it's only happened to me once, but I, the one time I was actually pulled over for a moving violation while carrying, I also made sure that I handed the police officer not only my um, driver's license, but the my concealed carry permit as well. Sure. Just to make sure that, you know, that you don't want to surprise them with things like that. <laughs> yeah, they're surprisingly not forgiving when they're surprised. No, uh, there's there's really not a lot of give to them when they're, you know, you freak, you freak them out. <laughs> they get uh, okay. a little pissed off. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the moral of the story is that if you are going to carry a firearm, you do have to be aware of certain things going on around you. Um, it, it just it was one of those like moments, uh, momentary lapses of reason that. You know, they talk about situational awareness even in the actual carry classes, and I didn't have it at that moment. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that that, uh, and that's one of those things that you it only takes once normally to to learn those lessons. Yes, uh, there is it is a lesson that lasts for a while. <laughs> you know, Hope, hopefully. Yeah. Normally, you get the like I it, it sticks in your head. I shouldn't do this right now. I'm carrying. There's a gun involved in this whatever it is action. So yeah, those 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 things do happen, but uh, it's to be fair, normally especially when law enforcement's involved, you if you approach things with a cool head and be like, "Hey, understand it's for my safety and your own blah 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 blah." blah and go through and make everyone comfortable, normally, I'm not going to say all the time, but normally it turns out fine. Well, I mean, even though it's been a long political discussion lately, police officers are, in fact, human beings. Yes. As with everything else in the sun, you're going to have some of them that are awesome and some of them are not. Some of them not so awesome, yeah. But for the most part, they are generally... My own personal experience is that a lot of times city is not, county is pretty good, and state is usually awesome. Um, So if you follow instructions... And make sure that you are not a in any way, shape, or form a threat. They will usually treat you pretty well. Yeah, normally. Although in my experience, and this is just my experience, uh, it's almost flipped here. Like state patrol are dicks down here as far <laughs> as. Like the state patrol in Texas, they're almost all ex-Marines. They take their, their stuff very seriously. They all still have military high and tight. They all still walk there in the military, and they have an inferiority complex or a power trip, generally speaking. That's just personal experience uh, in Texas state patrol, you know, like uh, state highway patrol. I should say that. The city cops, however, I've had very little trouble with city or county, like sheriff. Sheriff just, uh, they don't want to do paperwork. Just, 
All right. Do you, do you have a license for it? Let me see it. All right. Just go away. Just we're not going to have just we've had a conversation. I'm not going to lock this. You're not going to talk about it. Just go because they don't want I have to go back to the office a few hours and do paperwork and you better not cause me paperwork. That's about in my experience again where the sheriff's department is. They're normally when I'm caught or or when I'm dealing with them I'm out in the middle of the country and they're responding to some kind of you know some kind of weird stuff or they were there and decided they wanted to hear about it. The only ones in Texas I will say that you better watch your P's and Q's for our game wardens. And I don't know if you have any experience <laughs> with a game warden in, I, in your life, they, but they, they are probably one of the most powerful uniformed I, badged officer, at least in our state. I, well, I grew up in Maryland, which is dominated by the Chesapeake Bay. So what you had there was what they referred to as natural natural resources officers. Um and they were generally on the water. Right. And, right. you know, consider the fact that I am not, nor have I ever been a professional fisherman. Um, I ne- You don't have, have much, much. Yeah, you don't have much interaction yeah. with them. Uh, at, at best, what they, what I, my interaction with them was as a teenager uh, with uh, a friend of mine's boat. And consider the fact that it wasn't even mine. I wasn't the one who had to be licensed. Yeah, you're like, hey, man, I'm just here for, for, for beer. <laughs> you know? Or fish or whatever. No, I was, you know, early teenage years. We were water skiing. Oh, which my. I was never that good at to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> the game wardens here are because poaching is a serious thing in Texas. It's also hunting out of season is a very serious thing in Texas. There's a lot of stuff that can get you in trouble, and game wardens have the ability to take your gun, your truck, everything Ooh. you have. Your... Wait, a minute, wait a minute. Somebody in Texas can take your truck? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's very – game wardens here, and I, and that may be just in my state. It may be the, the continent or the, the countrywide, but game wardens in Texas can take pretty much everything you have on you and give you a massive fine. They can take you to jail. They can do, They can do pretty much whatever they want to enforce some of the regulations. Uh, so you try and stay away from those. Even I don't mess with a game warden or, or give them any <laughs> crap, you know, because one of my favorite pastimes is harass cops. You know, I'm married to one. I I know most of the <laughs> rules. Uh, I know where I can push them. I know where I can't eat. But even I don't mess with game wardens. It's not worth your effort or your time or anything like that. But for the most part, you don't really get into those situations, at least here. Now, the the further you get into an urban environment, the different that that variables tend to be. But all the places I have guns, which is out in the middle of acreage and somebody's ranch who's next to somebody else who has a thousand acres, who's next to somebody else who has a thousand acres. By the time you get to somebody who might report a gunshot or see you, it's five to ten miles away from wooded hilly miles away from where you are nobody knows (laughs) nobody knows you're out there so nobody cares also if you have a problem like you get your truck stuck or there's a flat tire or something or you're hungry you are going like nobody's going to come help you either (laughs) so there's that (laughs) but 
largely it's <laughs> it's out in very rural areas. I'm not carrying in the middle of a city, and I I probably will once I get an LTC. But there's there's a lot to which I'm I'm about ready. I think I can shoot well enough, all that kind of thing. But I I your situations are always just fascinating to me because I'm like, wow, I don't know what I, I, like. Wow, well, that, I mean, that would never happen to me because I'm not in this situation. I could be one day, but I, I'm not generally. Well, that kind of goes into my other story, which was, in my opinion, a little funnier, uh, just because I love people's reactions to things. Um, <laughs> uh, yesterday, I had the distinct joy of going shooting with my brother. Oh, I love it, going shooting with my family. Uh, well, I mean, I, I didn't realize that my AR was as dirty as it was until afterwards. <laughs> I cleaned it and realized that the bolt was stainless steel and not black. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Sexy. Um, but, uh, so I come home afterwards and in the uh, process of cleaning up everything, my wife asked me if I have any cash on me for my daughter who is going to what's called Frightland, which is a Halloween carnival near us. Sure. Sure. And I didn't have any cash on me. I don't typically carry it. So I offered to walk down to said Wawa. This, yeah, I'm noticing a trend here. <laughs> um, to go to the ATM. And as I was walking down, I see your average everyday hipster. Oh, good. Pushing a uh, baby carriage. And he is walking a ancient Lhasa Apsa dog. Basically, one of those little dogs that looks like a mop. And the dog started to pull its way over towards me, and he was just trying to drag the dog to keep going where he was. And, you know, the dog wanted to come say hi. So I said, you know, look, I'm willing to say hi to the dog if, if you've got a second. And I leaned down and put my hand in front of the dog, just as you do. And the dog took one sniff of me and started to growl and bark. And I look, and the guy was just absolutely surprised. Like I couldn't believe that his dog would respond like that. And but the best part was the look on his face when I looked at him, and without even thinking about it, said, "Oh, it's probably just because I smell like pit bulls and gunpowder." <laughs> <laughs> Which, out of context, makes uh, no sense. I, I I was about to try to explain, but the look on his face, and he just turned around and walked quickly in the opposite direction. <laughs> There's really not a whole lot you can do for that. Cause it's sort of like uh, Lewis Black when he he was saying, uh, you know, some some conversations are just inexplicable. Like he, uh, one of his favorite or famous things was, if it weren't for my horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college. And he's like, don't try and figure that sentence out because your brain will just shoot blood out of your eyes. You know, it just you you it's uncomprehensible. You would not have been, if you'd have spent ten minutes with that hipster. He would not have understood how that sentence came to be. It's just well, not I mean, going to happen. I, I'm I'm sitting standing there in a pair of uh, you know ratty sneakers, dirty shorts, ratty t-shirt. Um, you know, I I hadn't even combed my hair that day. I've been wearing. Y'all go eat stick. that dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably look like somebody who'd been shooting people in the backyard to feed them to my fighting dogs or something of that nature. But uh, it, it's just I, I just kind of shook my head and went, oh, shit. Them loopso oopsos is good eating there, boy. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So so that was my experiences over the weekend. The The good part of that, he left you alone. He did. <laughs> Very much so. 
He might have ran away, but he left <laughs> you alone. Uh, it's considered the fact that I'm the one in the neighborhood who has the obnoxious pit bulls. So. <laughs> my neighbors think my I have a, uh, a Amstaffy, which is basically a pit bull, but not yeah. uh, Amstaffy Roddy Cross, and they think he's a stuffed dog half the time. Like he just doesn't. It, there's not really a whole lot that will motivate him to get up. Uh, like we've left the house for a couple hours before he has not noticed. Um, he, he's just been sleeping. So for us, it's not a problem, but again, you live in an area that is people packed on top of people, all that. And it, it, true. And, and, and several of my neighbors do also have pit bulls. Um, mine, I have got two and they are completely opposed in personality. One of them is very similar to what you described in which we've actually had people knock on a door and ask whether or not the dog laying in our backyard was dead or not. <laughs> Uh, hold on, I don't know. Yeah, we, we go look. Oh, no, no, he's just sleeping. The, the other one is every bit what I would call friendly yet not gentle. She's just one of those dogs that has no concept of how strong she is. Yeah, we have, we have, uh, my mom does the whole thing. On guns with dogs, um, there's... <laughs> There's there's a lot of those and and a lot of times those bigger dogs especially the bigger playful ones have no concept of how large they are how big they are how strong they are and how much you are not and they'll just roll over you. Well, but, uh, uh, and well and then at the same time as with every dog with the mentality of a toddler picture that large overgrown toddler whose idea of fun is just to walk up to the uh, the the other kids bump them over and go hi. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, the first thing mine does is just shove his giant head into somebody's knee or leg or whatever or crotch, whatever, and just be like, hi. And then he starts. Now, I liken it to purring and chuffing, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> But to an eight-year-old, it sounds like he may be trying to kill you. <laughs> so they will run away screaming. Or, or if you're a little old lady walking a Yorkie. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. clearly. Clearly. You know, yeah, but that, it's it's the same thing. It, and, and and though it is a little off topic, that's the one that can be sent to court. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course it is. But uh, well, did, but, how'd you uh, do with uh, the shooting, by the way, since you shot with your brother? Uh, we actually did pretty well. Um, I definitely decided that I'm going to be ripping the rear sights off of my fire, off of my handguns, and putting um, optics on them. Yeah, <laughs> optics or lasers or something. Yeah, but the I do have a um, a red dot optic on my nine millimeter AR, and it was funny because there was a older couple doing a learning how to shoot class with oh, a, uh, one of the yeah. instructors, and. Um, I took turned one of the metal um, targets that was silhouetted like a person and just basically cleaned off all the spray paint off of the head portion of it. <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me and went, wow, that's a pretty good grouping. And I pointed at the red dot and went, I'm cheating. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, is total cheating. Yeah, I'm cheating. Doesn't it doesn't matter if you're cheating if the other guy's head's blown off it's it's going to end the conversation. True. True. But you know, with a, with a know, nine millimeter and a forty round clip, fifty round clip, I'm going to say yeah, it's probably the end of the conversation. That's uh, at what range were you doing this? Uh, I was about twenty yards. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, he's not. What's the line from Major Pain? If he's in there, he ain't happy. <laughs> uh, look, every time I come across an AK, I, I have to do the line from Jackie Brown. You absolutely have to kill every motherfucker in the room, except yeah. no substitute. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's a there's a. Uh, I'm gonna show how geek I am here, but there's a play down here uh, called Tuna, Texas. And there's okay. tuna, great a tuna, and and it's just a, a play about a bunch of Texas hicks. I mean, like honest to God, you know, like one of their first things is you know, a nuclear spill affects seven states, Texas not included, and that's all they say. You know, <laughs> they don't care. It's all Texas centric, right? And uh, there's a gun dealer in the middle of town because of course there is. It's the middle of small town Texas. There is a gun dealer somewhere. And uh, her her name is Dee Dee Snavely, and Dee Dee Snavely is this little old lady, and her she gets on, and of course everybody gets to advertise on the radio station, but they come in in person. That's kind of old timey radio station it is, and Dee Dee comes in, and if Dee Dee's can't kill it, it's immortal. If we oh, give God. you a weapon that doesn't kill, bring it back. We'll give you one that does. <laughs> it's it's so good because it just encapsulates the Texas mindset. Every one of our weapons is guaranteed to be one hundred percent lethal. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of shit you see down here, right? But yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, but speaking of gun shows uh, and, and oh. buying guns and stuff like that. I went to a show last week, and uh, it was my favorite show. It's the show out in Mesquite. It's Big Town Mesquite, uh, close okay. to 1,000 tables now. And uh, we went out. Uh, a neighbor friend of ours, her her husband passed, uh, I think, last year, and he, she found an arsenal in her home. Now, some of it we've traded out guns for, and she sold a lot of them and all that kind of thing. But she's looking for ways to uh, get herself. She's going to go see his family. He was from Germany. So she's going to go do this big Germany trip. And uh, she came across, I think it's roughly close to 1500 rounds of ammo. Uh, Holy shit. Between, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wait, just wait. Half of it's 50 cal and the oh. other half is 300 wind mag. So I don't know what kind of so, Armageddon. So, so not only was it, um, a lot of rounds. It was a lot of expensive rounds. Expensive. Yeah, very, very expensive rounds. And uh, even in Texas, it's difficult to get rid of seven, 800 rounds of 300 Win Mag and, and 50 cal pistol uh, ammunition. And, well, you know somebody who would want it. Oh, sure. Well, you know, we, God, we, everyone, we called everyone we knew. Hey, you want the 50? Holy shit. How much is that's like a, a lifetime supply for you and three other people? I'm like, yeah, I know, I I, I know, um, especially in the fifty pistol round because it's so expensive, and we were trying to get the most money for it and and you know the do the best deal so that she could go and do what she needed to do, but and she had no inclination or no idea how to sell it or or what to do or what was good and what was bad and you know all that stuff, right? So we we figured, hey, you know what, we'll help you out. It's not a big deal. She's a good friend of the family, always has been. So we were gonna we took it around and started selling it, right? And yeah. 
I mean, the friend, like all our friends cleared out maybe 250 rounds. I mean, that's it. I mean, that, like you don't need a ton of 300 Win Mag or 50 caliber pistol. You know, you just like a couple boxes, you're good for a couple of years, you know. So, uh, and it's not the cheapest, even though we were selling it at pretty inexpensive prices and uh, probably half of, of what it was worth. So, but it's still a good deal of money. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's about about a, we. I think we wind up getting all bills told probably about uh, eight hundred bucks for it, uh, for it all, which ain't bad. Which I mean, well, and not only that, it's not bad for the person on the other side. That's less than a dollar a round for things that can cost a whole lot more than that. Right, right. So, and and they, of course, uh, most of the stuff we wound up selling at a show because you know our friends are are and the people that we know are private shooters and, and stuff like that, the guys who have that gun. And even the guy with the 300 Win Mag that I sold that uh, 300 Win Mag to a while back was like, uh, yeah, dude, I, I think four boxes, I'm I'm good. <laughs> like, that's like this year's hunting trip, next year's hunting trip, the year after that, if it's still good. I'm like, yeah, I know. So we wound up carting all this crap to this show. And we're walking around and, and, you know, making the best deal we can uh, for the rest of the ammo, which is around 1,200 rounds and, or 15 or something like that. I, I think it was around 1,200 is, is what we had left. I did not. I uh, Jake, I swear, I didn't mean to buy anything. <laughs> and really, the conversation always starts like that. I, Honey, really, I didn't mean to buy anything. I didn't mean to. I hadn't planned on it. I just... You know, we were walking around with all our, our little, because you can't walk around with that much ammunition. It's just heavy, right? And we didn't bring a oh, wagon no. or anything. So we had it all printed out on cards and pictures of it so people would believe us and stuff. But by now, they know that we bring crazy crap and we always have different stuff. So everybody kind of knew who we were. At least at this show, everybody kind of knows who we are. And, and, and it is one of those environments where you look at somebody and go, come on out to my truck. That it is, is not actually a bad statement. Yeah, exactly. We got it out in the truck. If you want to come see it before you buy it, we're perfectly fine with that. You can open the boxes, just, you know, whatever. Uh, but you, we're not bringing it in unless you're actually paying for it, right? And, and everybody's kind of fine with that because it's understandable. It's a couple hundred pounds of brass and lead, you know? So we're rocking around. We've made the final deal and sold all of it. Uh, Buona's got a pocket full of cash for our, our our friend. And he's like, well, since we're here, and we got coupons, you know, because you get coupons, coupons, $10 coupons for coming in the show. He's like, we might as well spend our coupons. And uh, which I figured I'd wind up with a box of 12 gauge or maybe two boxes old 12 gauge or something like that, which is normally what I get or 20 gauge something. Yeah. Uh, Buona normally gets like a box of 22 or, or maybe a, a, a throwaway pocket knife or some some little doodad or trash and trinket, whatever. So we start walking the show and we get about halfway through and I'll pause it right there because I have been looking recently. The only type of shotgun I don't own is an automatic. I've I've struggled. Uh, I've had several. Uh, both mine and other people's, uh, or access to mine and other people's sh uh, automatic shotguns, and I didn't, I didn't really click with any of them. No pun intended. <laughs> um, that uh, you know, I had a Remington, an old spring spring action Remington, and that was a little harsh. I uh, wasn't really a big fan of that one. 
the Benelli, we've talked about that. I, yeah. it's, not only is it out of my price range, but uh, I was I was just not kind of a fan of it. And we're wandering around tables, and and I saw an automatic. It was beautiful. Had a lot of lot of carving, a lot of decoration to it. Turned it over, and it had a Smith and Wesson emblem on the bottom of it. I'm like, huh, there's something about that. I I remember it. I remember a lot of people liked them, but there's some kind of dark cloud over those. I why, just, why am I not remembering a Smith and Wesson shotgun? It is a yeah, exactly. Well, they only made it for about ten years, and I'll tell you what happened. Basically, Smith and Wesson wanted to get into shotgun production in the 1970s because everybody it was a huge shotgun and hunting time. The 70s were really great for for shotguns. Mossberg was kicking ass. Uh, they the Remington also doing the same thing at least locally, and it was a good time to get, it was a great time to do shotguns in the 70s and 80s, and Smith desperately wanted to get into that area but they didn't have time to tool up to do it and it would have taken them several years to design and and put into production a gun so they did what every other gun maker does and they went and found one that they liked that needed very little and bought it and they bought the factory the patent lock stock and barrel all of it and what they bought turned into the Smith & Wesson Model 1000 shotgun. And they bought, uh, it was a Japanese company called Hawa, H-O-W-A. And the now, Hawa... I, now, it, here's my question for you, because I don't have a whole lot of experience. Are the Japanese good at making shotguns? Okay, here's the thing. Yes, it's not a bad gun. It's it's actually quite a lovely gun. The okay. problem was several... It's sort of like saying, are the Argentinians good at making pistols? Well... You know, uh, surprisingly enough, yes. Surprisingly enough, yes. You know, Japan makes a fine and, gun, and, and I and I have a comment on that later on. But that's <laughs> keep going. You know, same thing with the Turkish or something like that. Anytime somebody starts something from scratch, it's pretty crappy. Well, they had been making this shotgun since post-war, right? It had been, oh, it had right. several decades under their belt in, as a Hawa, and it was widely regarded as as one of the better shotguns Japanese, the Japanese made and uh, had decent steel and Smith and Wesson looked at it and decided, you know, we only have to change very few parts. Let's just go ahead and buy this. If you'll forgive the expression, lock, stock and barrel. <laughs> and they bought the factory, the, the schematics, the gun, the design, the patent, all of it, just all of it and continued to make them in Japan changed a few parts and modeled it as the Smith and Wesson model 1000. Now the reason you haven't heard of it, or many people have not heard of it, is they only made it for about 10 years. Okay. And uh, they stopped production, I think, 86 or 84, 89, something like that. In the, in the mid to late 80s, they stopped production of it. But they made a ton of them, and they're out there. The big thing about it, what really killed it was, was really threefold. The first two things were kind of minor, and then there was a big one at the end. One is it was from Japan, which in the early 70s, there was a lot of people who had been in that area in theater still rolling around, and they had a negative opinion of things. Or Yeah, in the early 70s, it was at that point in time even still difficult to get people to buy Japanese cars. Right. So a Japanese gun was even harder because of the um, attachments that people had to those emotions, right? Yeah. So that was strike one. Strike two is it did not have a modifiable barrel. It had a, a choked barrel. Instead of um, which in the as you know, in the in the late 70s, early 80s, everyone was moving to a mono or a uh, an interchangeable choke system. 
or most people. You could still Actually, get a barrel choke. Yeah. Um, you could still get a barrel choke, and it was pretty prevalent, but a lot of, the, like, Mossberg, Remington, uh, Ithaca, all of them were moving to kind of ch- uh, interchangeable choke system. You, so you got your Rem chokes and, and uh, your Mossberg chokes and everything like that. So they were moving to, instead of just having a barreled choke uh, or a choked barrel, you would have an interchangeable system, which was much more modifiable. You could use the gun for anything, right? You could have a skeet choke, a, a full choke, and do duck hunting. You could do a modified choke, do damn, damn near anything, IC, all that stuff. So okay. that was strike two. Strike three was one of, I don't think this would have happened, this is personal opinion, all right, so feel free to distance yourself, but I don't think this would have happened <laughs> had the internet been around at the time. The gun is a beautiful system. The only problem with it is the piston that kicks everything back, that t- that accepts the gas and then pushes everything back, has a yeah. rubber donut or washer or or rubber actuated system right so it pushes on the piston the rubber compresses and then pushes the piston back out which shoots the gas back works the action for all intents and purposes Uh, same as a lot of other gas guns but what this gun had that other guns may not have is that the hops nine disintegrates that donut that little ring in there just freaking disintegrates it and if you don't take, and the other thing is, if you don't take that gun all the way apart every time you do it, because the gas returns about midway through the barrel, it gets very, very dirty. There's a lot of dirt, a lot of, lot of black, a lot of gunpowder kind of gets caked in there and forms goo, right? Well, if you okay. use Hops 9 and don't clean that thing all the way, your gun will cease to cycle correctly after about two, 300 rounds. Well... So what you're saying is they're using a latex O-ring and it's bad to put oil on it. Yes. Exactly. It's bad <laughs> to put oil on you, it. You, you'd think that even in the 70s somebody would have thought well, of this. I got a hold of the original instructions, and it says very clearly not to do this. However, you know as well as I do, every redneck that grew up in, in the South and anywhere else, so I know how to clean a shotgun, you use hops on it. Hop is nine. <laughs> Right. I'm not saying that the average redneck would try to buy a shotgun was going to necessarily recognize this. I'm thinking that the engineers should have noticed this. Well, I kind of think so, too. However, again, cheap and they wanted to get in on and the gun worked beautifully as long as you kept the oil off the, the rubber ring. As long oh. as you did that gun worked beautifully. And part of the funny part about that is, is the engineers have a tendency to have blind spots or things like that. And my sure. favorite thing is, is that when you call an engineer and tell them this is what some, this something is doing, well, and they do say, that. it can't do that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it doesn't do that. It just don't do that. It's very bad. It's okay, Egon. That's yeah. bad. Yeah, okay. Well, my, my, my gun isn't cycling properly. Well, there should be an O-ring there. There's no O-ring there. Well, then you must have lost it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's only goo where the O-ring used to be. Well, that's incorrect. You need to fix that. You know. Uh, but this gun got this reputation for it, and it's and it's and before the internet, it was word of mouth, and it just kind of became the law that these were unreliable guns that would break on people. I didn't know this, but uh, okay. So all of that happened, right? And we'll fast forward to to Shawnee at a gun show. Uh, with a Smith & Wesson on the table and an automatic that was just smooth as silk, and I I didn't understand why it was marked $115. Well, 
the gun looks beautiful. I mean, it's got some wear on it and stuff like that. But by the time I'm done with it, that's just gonna look damn gorgeous. It has engraving on it. It has a nice chrome polished bolt. Uh, it's it's got a beautiful little bead. It's I mean, it was in okay, but not great shape. It will be when I'm done with it. So I'm like, what's the story on this? He's like, hundred fifteen dollars. I'm like, I'll give you a hundred. You know, just because that's what I do, <laughs> right? Because that's what I do. Well, just just make sure you give somebody a Ziploc baggie of O-rings when you turn around and sell it. Right. And uh, so I, I'm like, okay. Well, I didn't know any of this. Like, I, I had no idea. I just saw the gun. It was an automatic. It was 100 bucks, And it was a Smith & Wesson. So I knew I could get parts for it. So I'm like, screw it. I'll spend 100 bucks on whatever the hell is going on with this gun. Uh, so I did. 100 bucks, No problem. Um, I even I even liked it so much I filled out paperwork for it. I mean, the government oh, knows God. I have it. I was so excited. So I get it home, and, of course, the damn thing, it fires, and the, the action, you can pull it back and load the shell and load all the stuff in there, but um, it fires, but it doesn't eject the shell. It doesn't blow back because, of course, the rubber O-ring in it is blown. Now, I didn't know anything about this before I started taking it apart. I'm like, oh, crap, I got a gun that doesn't work. Like, there's something wrong with this. It's obviously with the, the gas system and the blowback system, like, what's happening. And I started reading. And they're like, look, there's an O-ring. <laughs> you pull it out. And I don't think anybody had ever, and this is one of the earlier models. I know it is because I looked up the serial number, and I, I see kind of when it is, and it's probably from the late 70s because uh, it's in like an F-0, which is going to be one of the older ones. And uh, or at least the, the serial number starts with an F-0. <laughs> I'm like, okay. This this is there there has to be so I called Smith and Wesson they're like we don't service that guy anymore. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. <laughs> so I, I hit the net and there's a guy. Funny enough, in Texas, he's in, he's about two hours away from me, Comanche, Texas. His name's Frank, and Frank was a certified Smith and Wesson tech for 30 years and he owned a shop here in in uh, Plano in, in just northern Dallas for a long time he just retired a couple of years ago and he bought the rights to the gun and he manufactures all the parts to the gun and you can call him up and say Frank I need a part <laughs> I need this part yep your ring's blown ain't it and I'm like yep he says all right I got one don't you don't use oil on it and I'm like yeah I got I, yeah I, I get it um, but you can so, still so- so here's my question for you. Uh, is there is the answer when you clean the gun, you pop the O-ring off and then put it back on when you're done cleaning? Yeah. Or or is there an actual workaround? Is there something you can replace the O-ring with that won't respond that way? Yes, there is. And you can use there's stuff with newer materials. You Because I took the one I had out, and it's like, okay, you just need the uh, – uh, a little piece below the piston and then this this ring here this little donut to to put on that that's not latex so you can fix it any number of ways and you there's other cleaning and solvents that you can use that don't screw up the o-ring you know there's water-based stuff or not Mm water-based stuff but there's there's other there's other based cleaning units but the real trick or the real easy part is just take the piston out when you're cleaning the gun (laughs) clean the gun, wipe it down real good in the gas chamber so there's no oil in there and, and all around where that is, put it back in, put the gun back together. <laughs> Very simple, you know. But which is what they 
should have done in the first place. But I I just so for eighty bucks, which is what this part costs, I'm gonna have a working gun. Now I ordered it. I haven't it hasn't come yet, but because uh, this happened just this week. But for about $190, I'm going to have a perfectly working, beautiful, you know, beautiful automatic shotgun that I personally think because this was and it's one of those things, because this was done in the 80s, people just got a bad taste in their mouth about it and for really no reason. I mean, other than the fact that it was poorly, you know, that part was poorly designed, but just use it or clean it differently. Well, I mean, but these days you're right. This stuff doesn't actually last that long with the day and age of the internet. Right. Case in case in point, the striker on the Sig P365 when it came out, it was terrible. I mean, people were breaking them left and right, and it forced Sig to turn around and fix the sucker now. Right. Because it was all over the internet. Everybody doing reviews on YouTube was going. This idea, the, the idea of this firearm is awesome. I would not buy it yet. Right. They haven't fixed this, you know. <laughs> uh, I, and, and once again, I, I've owned it. I, it's a wonderful firearm once they fixed it. Yeah. See, and that's the thing, you know, it's it's just one little thing if, if, that it, you do it different or they make a different one or they make it out of a different material. And the gun's perfectly serviceable and fine. Yeah. It's just. You have to get to that point. Now, this happened, you know, for the the Smith & Wesson 1000. That was just the death nail, right? It's just just gone after that because there was no... Yeah, there was no way to spread the the word far enough, fast enough in any kind of circle. Like, hey, we fixed our gun, right? It's no longer that crappy piece. Or quit using oil when you clean the damn thing and your gun will last forever, (laughs) They couldn't do that then. They could do it now. It would be a simple press release, and they could go around on several. I'm hoping, actually, if I can talk Frank into coming on this show and talking about it a little bit. Because he, be yeah, he, he manufactures the part, or he has all the parts. They're they're brand new. He reconditions some. He installs parts. He does all the stuff. He he loves the gun, but you can't do certain things, you know. And so. It's it's a you know like you said it's it's just one of those things that wouldn't survive now, in in that state in the late eighties they had to stop production of the gun because it just got such a terrible name that nobody'd buy it. I, and, and well, and even then, take another step. It's got a, such a terrible name that somebody who didn't get into firearms until you know the late two thousands, I never even knew it existed. Yeah. Yeah, I, neither one of us knew it existed. I'd never even seen one, never laid eyes on one uh, until I got involved with this. And I'm like, this is nothing. Are you kidding me? This, <laughs> Why is this like this? And so I had to I had to start looking because it was just very frustrating to me. I'm like, well, it's a lovely gun. I mean, it's beautiful and it's it's easy. I mean, it feel I swear to God, it feels like an 870 is what it feels like. Or, or, you know, another Remington automatic, but it's not heavy. It's not, I mean, it's not one of the ultralights that just bounces all around either. But it's not heavy. I mean, I can, and, you know, I'd cycle the bolt back and shoot it. You know, I, sh- I probably ran about 10 rounds through it, and none of them would cycle. But, you know, you can manually cycle the bolt, and I got a couple rounds through it. It feels just like an 870, you know. Cool. It's fine. It's a great little gun if you just fix the damn O-ring. <laughs> you know? 
So it was it was kind of a surprise to me, but I I will wind up have ha- uh, spending a high, less than two hundred bucks on a perfectly serviceable automatic twelve gauge by the time I'm done with it. Okay, so you'll get a kick out of this because it was a conversation very similar to the one you and I had. Uh, my the firearm my little brother has been coveting for well ever since we found out that Walther was re-releasing it is the James Bond. PBK. Oh yes, very, very important. The 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 Bond version of the PPK. So it's all blacked out. It's in the 380 caliber, or yes. I guess the, which depending on which Bond it was, I guess it could have been 32 or 3. No, I think it's 380, isn't it? No, they say nine millimeters short. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's yeah. always been a a 380 for the Bond one. The only difference is is that sometimes it's been blacked out and sometimes it's been uh, nickel plated chrome or something like that. Sure. Um, but, uh, we were talking about our next purchases, uh, you know, as we were waiting for somebody to do something with the targets down at the end of the range. Sure. And I was talking about how my next person purchase is probably going to be a car CM nine, just a little nine millimeter to fit in an ankle holster. Sure. Nice little gun. Uh, it's, it, it's great. Um, and he was talking about the fact that he's still wanted the PPK. God, that's a lot like, of money to throw for well, a 380. Well, that was my well. My first question for him was: Is can you even find one? Yeah, because because I can't. I was actually even just considering buying the 22 just to have a James Bond gun. <laughs> <laughs> and his response was, "No, he couldn't find one." Uh, and then I also mentioned, "Dude, they, they are expensive when you can." Oh, they are so expensive. I mean, they're in all the gun shops down here, but you're you're. They start with a six if you're lucky, and that's if they're beat up. But normally they start with a seven. Yeah, and the, the, I can't find one around here. Couldn't yeah, just they're they're not here. Um, so I once again mentioned the Bursa to him, and he's sitting there going, "Yeah, well, but what's what's that?" You know, he, <laughs> uh, I I mentioned it to him before, and his response was no, that he really what he wanted was an authentic. Walther PPK. And there's a lot of people like that, and that's fine. I mean, that's... Oh, no, no, it's per- perfectly fine. But I, you know, actually, because we were just sitting there, I went ahead and pulled it up on my phone and uh, showed him the ad from the gun shop I go to with the all-black Bursa, uh, three, Bursa Thunder 380. Sure. And he looked at it and went, it's it. he's like, is that seriously the exact same thing? And I went, yeah, it's a Basically, it's a clone. It's a little bit bigger than a PPK, but yeah, it's it's. We're not going to tell him that. <laughs> it's it's a really really close clone. Yeah, I actually uh, prefer it for obvious so, reasons. Yes, so obvious. So he the next thing you know, he's actually stealing my phone, taking the link and and uh, messaging it to himself. But it was kind of like I got another convert to that little three eighty. <laughs> They should start giving you a commission. How many have you sold for them now? Two. <laughs> I'm sure that made it for the year for them. You know, the two that I sold. yeah, the two, yeah, yeah. They oh man, they sell a lot of them. A really a lot of them. Uh, there's there is a gun shop I go to uh, down here, and I, every time I walk in that shop, they have at least two bursas, and they're different bursas. Every, you know, the Bursa Thunder 380, they're different ones every freaking week. Well, there's there's three models, and then each model comes in, eight, you know, six different colors. 
No, yeah, everything, I mean, ev- everything from all chromed out to all blacked out to any combination thereof, or the uh, they've got uh, the one that you've got, which is the special edition gold, and they've yep. got the special edi- edition nickel plate chrome. Uh, and then they've got the three versions of it. They've got the standard single stack, which is, I think, what you said you got. Yes, uh, eight eight round single stack. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then they've then they've got a anti snag uh, concealed carry version of it. Yep. And then they've got a the new um, co- what they call it the combat version, which is the new double stack. Yeah, the green double stack. It's got it's got some other refinements on it, but it's it's yeah. a little bit beefier. And and they change some stuff up, but I I prefer the eight round single stack kind of because it's a little slimmer, a little lighter. Yeah, uh, just just my own personal preference. But that's the thing. I mean, you can have a bunch of different options with that single platform, and there's just a lot of there's a lot of range and, there. And once again, for a two hundred fifty at most three hundred dollar firearm, you can't find anybody who's got anything bad to say about them. Not not a soul. Not yeah. a soul. The only the only guy I've ever talked to about it. I was at the range the other day with a couple friends of mine, and we were shooting. And of course, I was shooting the Thunder because that's what I shoot now, and that's what I practice with, and that's going to be my my concealed carry. And guy came over because you know how everybody is. They walk once you're done shooting, you just kind of walk around and and do whatever till your group is is ready. Everybody at, at our range is pretty friendly, and, and dude came over, and he's like, oh, yeah, the Bursa, you know, I had one of those. And I said, oh, yeah, how'd you like, well, you know, it's, he was desperately trying to find something bad to say about it, because he didn't have one anymore, and he had moved up to something. <laughs> well, the, the, did, did you get to see what he was, what he did have with it? Because that'll sometimes tell you why they got rid of something. Yeah, I did, because I asked him, like, do you still have it? He goes, no, no, I didn't have it, I... I moved up to a PPK, you know, I'm like, ah, ah so okay. you just wanted to spend more money on the same platform and less performance. It, <laughs> and he's like, no, it performs the same. I'm like, does it? I, and, and once again, it's, it's what, what do you want and why do you want it? If yeah. you want a PPK because you want James Bond's gun. And that's really what it was. Reason to do so. And that's what it was. He's like, well, this is the gun Bond carried. I said, that's true. And you paid twice for, I said, actually, two and a half times what this is. Yeah. And, and he brought his out, and it was just a regular kind of blacked out, uh, which is fine. I mean, it's a blacked out. Well, it's a nice gun. But I put mine down on the table, and everybody, we brought a couple people over and, and covered up the names. We said, which one's the Walther? And every one of them who didn't know what it was pointed to mine and yeah. at a distance because it looked cooler. It looked nicer. It looked cleaner because, of course, I had the special edition gold. And uh, they're like, oh, that of one. Course. Of course. Well, I mean, yeah, it, that it, one. It, and and really what it comes down to it, the same reason that he wanted to have the actual Walther is the same reason behind why you wanted the special edition gold. It makes you feel good. Yes, that's exactly it. Because I could have paid thirty or forty dollars less for the standard aluminum frame black grip black slide Bursa that they have. You know the the standard one. I yeah. could have paid two hundred and forty dollars for it. Instead, I paid two eighty for the one I got because it had gold pieces. It's the same freaking gun, but it had gold pieces. And it yeah. makes you feel better. And it makes me feel, yeah, I liked it. It made me feel good about spending the extra 40 bucks. I thought it was worth it. And to me, it was. 
Now, it wasn't worth the $700 that the Walther <laughs> would be. To you. To me. Yeah. Again, to me. Obviously, his gun has a better resale value. His gun has a longer and more illustrious history than than the Bursa does. At the same time, I can burn mine in a dumpster, go pick up another one, and still have spent less than he did on his Walther. Uh, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> I can buy a mountain of ammo for it for, for what he paid for his Walther. So there's and and that's the whole thing about it is is there's a wealth of people's opinions and what you want in the right gun for you for me i wanted to cheap them with a little bling to it because that was close enough for me i loved the way it felt i felt that eight rounds was enough in in a magazine and that was really just kind of fine there's a lot of people out there who must have the walther my wife has the walthers that's all she'll shoot now is a freaking walther and a pistol uh, because that's uh, I, I, just it, what she it, has. For the most part, uh, all I'll shoot in a pistol is, you know, a six hour. But, sure. you know, the only reason why I'm even looking at the car is because I had one in 380. And the reason why I got rid of that was uh, I, I'm getting a, I got away from anything other than nine millimeter. I like having my just my big can of nine millimeter that I don't have to <laughs> make decisions as far as what caliber I'm buying when I go to the store. Sure. Um, yeah, and I don't think about it. I walk right over to the nine millimeter. I find the cheapest box of ammo and just grab as many of them as I can afford that day. I don't even have to think about it. Um, but at the same time, I knew it was a firearm I could be comfortable with, so that's why I went with that because they're tiny. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, I shoot a six hour. It's it's what I'm comfortable with. My brother has a Glock 19. He loves it. Yep. Um, and you know, just because it's not what I would, you know, personally choose to fire. It doesn't fit in my hand. So, yeah, I'm not really brand specific or locked into a brand, I should say. I do have brands that I like more than any, you know, more than others. You know, when it comes to a shotgun, I normally tend to go towards a Remington. Uh, but that's not to say that I don't own a Mossberg because I do. Uh, there's, you know, when it comes to the pistols, who the hell knows? I, I'm very new to shooting <laughs> pistols. I have I have one that I can accurately shoot, and the only the, the only reason I say Bursa is because that's the one I have that I can shoot. I I don't shoot pistols well enough, although I'm getting better. Uh, I don't generally shoot pistols well enough to have a super informed opinion, and I know less about it. You've forgotten more about ARs than I will ever know. <laughs> so there's there's realms, you know, where where I'm comfortable saying things and and everything, but. Uh, Generally speaking, pistols is probably not one of them. Now, I'll I'll be glad to have a conversation about shotguns with anybody who wants to talk about them, but uh, mostly because I really enjoy them. But uh, you know, with with pistols, I'm just like, well, can you shoot it? <laughs> Does it fit your hand? Did you do you felt well, like the money was well spent? Then we're good, you know. But so the funny thing is, is that's really all it takes when it comes to a pistol. Yeah, can you shoot it? Does it fit your hand? Is it worth the money you spent on it? Uh, and if the first two are are accurate, then the answer to the third is probably yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and it is very, and they are, they are the same and different enough that the only way you're ever going to find out whether or not it's the right firearm for you is to shoot it. Yeah, and that's the real trick. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times I've fallen in love with a gun and actually shot it and went, damn it, I hate that. 
<laughs> yeah. Or I, 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 I mean, if the the one I recently did it with, I had coveted forever the um, Springfield XD Mod Two Subcompact. Ooh, it was the on. first gun. It was the first gun I looked at when I first started getting into firearms, and I was starting to do my obsessive researching that I do on these things. Um, that I looked at and went, "Ooh, that one just looks cool." Oh, that's a nice looking gun. Yeah, yeah. I it, just it's, looked it's, it up. That's a nice looking it, gun. Yeah, and I, the first time I went to buy a firearm, the 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 salesperson talked me out of it, and I bought something. I I bought my first Sig. And I've gone, I've gone mentally back to it a couple of times and just never quite did it. And finally pulled the trigger, no pun intended, and <laughs> and and bought one a while back. And it took me one trip to the range to hate that thing. <laughs> I hate this. I really, yeah, I really I know hate this. It was back to I showed up literally the next week back at the gun shop. The guy looks at me and goes, "What's what's wrong with that?" And it's kind of like I don't like it. He's like, yeah. what do you, what, what do you, what do you mean? Uh, I went to the range and I, I, I don't like it. I hate this. Yes. <laughs> You're probably his best customer too. He makes two hundred dollars every time you walk in the store, uh, <laughs> whether he's oh, buying I, or selling I, or whatever. I, actually, he's doing. actually, I suddenly realized that I'm going to have to stop, you know, doing what I've been doing because he's uh, his terms for uh, repurchasing from me have suddenly gotten a whole lot steeper. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and the funny thing is is I don't even think he's the one doing it his uh his coworker because if I walk in when he's by himself it's a whole lot nicer than if I walk in with his employee there. Uh the first thing he does is he sits there and goes, "Can you work up a price for him for me?" And it's just kind of like, "Oh man, he's not going to come up with anything even close to as nice as the owner would." Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I I I I, I can't really play that game anymore man i and and see with pistols it's tough because there's there's not a lot of conditional things that like you can't buy a crappy pistol and really work it over like you could a long gun no like a shotgun or a rifle or something like that or accessorize it out in the same ways or in the same valuable ways and everything because it's all about weight holsters and and condition with pistols and it's just it's it's a lot tougher. Well, plus the fact that you know, with each different pistol, what you've got is things like bore access, uh, yeah. and stuff of that nature, as to where the barrel is, or how long the barrel is, and all of these little things that you're talking about, something much smaller, have an impact on how the firearm fires. Um, the thing that that nobody and I found out, neither did I, like about the Springfields is that they've got a very very tall bore axis. So they don't hit your hand in the same way. Yeah. And it gives it a little bit more of a perceived um, uh, recoil. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, put your wrist back a little bit, did it? Uh, just a bit. <laughs> I mean, and we've talked about it. I have problems with um, you know arthritis and tendonitis in my hands and my wrists. So quite frankly, yeah. something that's going to beat me up like that, I hurt by the time it's said and done. Well, and which is why I went to because I I was going to go to nine millimeter as well. And every nine millimeter I shot was just like God. That's just a lot. It's just a lot, you know. And every time I'd shoot one, I'm like, and finally, you know, when I started shooting it was actually shannon's freaking walther 380 pk 380 uh-huh. i shot that and i'm like oh well, this is lovely you know this doesn't kick hardly at all why can't i do one of these 
but it was a little bigger than I wanted, and you know, there was some other thing because it's a full, basically a service weapon in three eighty. Yeah, and I'm like, well, that's too big. Uh, now she carries it concealed, but you know, they, she has more curves than I do to hide a printing. You know, so that wasn't oh. going to work for my skinny little frog butt. So <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not going to work. Yeah, you know, as, a, as, a, as a large squishy guy, I tend to have a uh, easy time concealing. I don't have hips or boobs to hide this at all. You know, there's. <laughs> There's Unless, of nothing. course, i got to clean my glasses. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that wasn't going to work, so I needed something a little smaller. But but it, the, the Bursa, believe it or not, is actually not that much smaller than Shannon's PK-380. However, it is shaped a little different, and it's a little easier to hide. Or at least well, you don't conceal. But but my I mean my habit when I go to the to the range is I will generally generally start with my smallest firearm and work my way up. Sure. Because, you know, when my hands are strongest and most comfortable is when I'm going to fire the small ones that are going to have a lot of recoil to them. And then as my hands get tired, I move up to the heavier and easier to fire guns to the point where at the, then at the end of the whole thing, I'm just playing with the AR. Now, see, I'll do that with, with shotguns. I'll start off in 12-gauge and move to a 20, yeah. right? Because uh, I've got an 870 in both. I've got an 870 Wingmaster in 12 and a... Uh, 12, uh, 20 gauge express. Both of them are eight seventies. Both of them are lovely guns. Both of them feel almost exactly the same, but the 20 kicks a hell of a lot less. So after about two, three hours, uh, you'll see me slide a, a 20 gauge out and suddenly the shells are yellow and I'll just continue on. But oh. on the, at the range, you know, it's a little different. It's cause I, I came from a different place you did as far as like where I was on the pistol shooting scale. So it's like, let's just find on one I can shoot. Let's just hit the target, hit the target. Let's hit the target. Let's find a pattern. All right. Now we have a pattern. Now let's move it to the center. You know, that's where I'm coming from uh, with a pistol. So I needed to find something a little bit easier for me to shoot and get a hold of. Even though I'm not a small dude, still, I needed to find something I could control and learn with that was going to work for me. And for me, that was, that was the, the thunder. But my, my, my other problem with a full size shotgun is the fact that I have T-Rex arms. You know, uh, my father, probably you could shoot his guns because he has a very small length of pole. Cause he's pretty short, uh, for, you know, the, uh, according to the modern standards of shotguns, which have 14, 14 and a half lengths of pole, which is, uh, I don't know if you know, the, that's the measurement yeah. from the center of the stock, uh, the end of the center of the stock to the trigger, right? Yes. Uh, and his is 13 and a half. So, uh, the, which doesn't sound like a lot, but an inch in that area can, can just jack you up. Now, I shoot 13 and three quarters uh, to 14, and it's easy, but um, my wife shoots 12. 12 inch length of pull. Because she is a card uh, and actually, member of the Wallachop Guild. And actually, so do I. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I have the shortest arms that, I mean, it's not joking. I have T-Rex arms. <laughs> um, because what I figured out the first couple of times I went shotgun shooting is I was trying to figure out why it was that my inner arm was getting bruised. The, it's the gun's I, too long. Too long of a length of pull. That's why. Because well, you can't no, shoulder it right. But, but even then, I could shoulder it right, but what was happening was, is in order to get my hand up to, um, it, it wasn't even the length of pull, it was the fact that I had to angle it to even get my hand up to uh, the pump action. 
<laughs> so when yeah, it was all said it. and done, so when it was all said and done, it wasn't sitting on my shoulder properly. Yeah. Now, and see, Shannon had kind of the, the same kind of problem. By the time you get her in a vest, she's very, very small. She's five foot two. Um, by the time you get her in a vest with a 12 gauge shotgun, she couldn't work the slide to, or couldn't reach the slide to once she had it shouldered. She couldn't do it, and they wouldn't give her a different gun uh, to qualify for her level three. And it just pissed me off. I'm like, fine. So we called the the certification place, and I'm like, can I send her with her own 12 gauge? And they said, sure, not a problem. You know, you can bring your own <laughs> ammo too. And I'm like. Good, you know, so I got the lightest double-aught buckload I could find uh, with the least amount of drams, and I cut that thing, I swear to God, I cut that thing so much. I mean, it was a not a great gun, let me just be clear. It was a Springfield 67H, uh, and nothing wrong with it, but down here, I don't know how it works up, in, up where you are, but down in Texas, in the gun shows I go to, if you were to blindfold or if you were to go in blind to any show and hand me $150 and told me to come out with a 67H, I could do it nine out of ten times. There is one at a show, <laughs> right, for about 150 bucks. Or if it's not marked 150 you can get it for 150 You can come back with a 12-gauge $150 Springfield 67, right, every time. So we did that. It was uh, a week before her shooting had to occur, and I went out and we, you kind of were an emergency gun show. Uh, went out, purchased a sixty-seven. <laughs> we measured her, measured her, measured her, measured her, and I just kept cutting the thing down. And I'm like, "Look, you have to be able to do this to get your shotgun qualification back." Because she was going to this is uh, earlier uh, this year. You need your shotgun because she was going to switch jobs, and it required shotguns. And I'm like, "Look." We have to get to, I'm going to cut this thing down until you can freaking shoulder it and work it correctly. We have got to get you there. And it started at 14 and a quarter. <laughs> I cut it to 13 and a half and then 13 and a quarter and then 13 and then 12 and a half. And I'm like, oh, God, there's there's a nub left. All right, look, we're going to keep going. <laughs> I don't care if I got to get you a shockwave, girl. We're going to fix this. So, well, actually, that that that's what I tend to have as a shotgun. Yeah. You know, <laughs> is I'm a like, shockwave with, with an with an arm brace instead of an actual stock. I, you know, I, I'm like, look, you will have because I couldn't get her a synthetic because you can't remount the butt plate on them, right? Because the screw holes are. are so well, I had to get her an old well, wood one. My my old in, my own investigations on this be having a similar problem is is actually Hogue sells a. Um, a 12-inch synthetic uh, for, for a 12-inch length of pull than synthetic stock. Right. But I didn't know she had a 12-inch length of pull at the time. We didn't know what the hell her length of pull would be. Good point. Uh, so now I do, and I could, I'll get her something else, you know, but I had to get something. So we cut down the 67 until it's got a 12-inch length of pull. And, I mean, I cut part of the barrel. I mean, I... I mean, I put it all the way down to an 18 and quarter, uh, 18 and a half inch barrel, so she wouldn't have to swing a lot out front. It's got a rounded police grip in in the uh, for the slide, and she's down to 12. And then I rattle can the whole thing black as far as all the wood on it. I'm like, here, take this, <laughs> like, just <laughs> take this. Went through all the internals, made sure everything racked and you know it was all smooth. And sprayed the shit out of it with rim oil and said, go forth, you know, blast some stuff. And, of course, she got, you know, 100 out of 100. So, I mean, it wasn't 
a big deal, but we had to get her something she could shoot. Otherwise, she'd fail the shotgun stuff. And length of pole is is kind of a lost thing, uh, honestly, with a lot of them out now, uh, especially with the synthetic stocks. They just come with a 14 and a quarter, and you're just supposed to adjust, which is, in my personal opinion, stupid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Get something that fits you, and you'll shoot a lot better. It'll be more comfortable. You'll be able, you'll be able and, you know, comfort breeds speed, speed breeds accuracy. You will, you will learn better if the gun fits you. It's just how it is but man you know they're they come out now with all these uh new synthetic style although recently we looked up a methodology on how to do how to fill a synthetic stock with resin and then cut it just like a wood stock now it's heavy or yeah but it works uh, so I'm looking for a synthetic stock to do that too here in the in the near future. And all you have to do is fill it, you know, the bottom inch or two of the synthetic stock, so you can screw holes and put a butt plate on it. That's all you got to do. That's all the the filling you have to do. You don't have to fill the whole thing up. And just drill a hole through it, and off you go. Hmm. Yeah. No, it's super cool. And I'm like, well, now that's intelligent. How come they don't tell you that? And because they, well, they want you to buy another <laughs> replaceable stock. <laughs> We can tell you how to fix it, or we can sell you a new one. Or we can sell you a new one that's designed at your length, and that way we can make the money on the gun twice. You know, so yeah, some boy from uh, some old good old boy from Tennessee figured out how to to fill the fill it with resin for about an inch or two, and then screw a butt plate or, or a shock pad on it, and off you go. I'm like, well, now that's intelligent. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> now I'm gonna have to get into synthetic shotguns now. Well, I mean, yeah, but you can't decorate the synthetic as well as you can. Actually, I, le- I saw I... A, a technology that, or a non-technology, but a, a technique on how to do shallow engraving and stippling on resin-based stocks. And I can't wait to try that either. So uh, I'm going to start, because I saw somebody who did it. It looked gorgeous. Now, it's all shallow, right? Because you don't have yeah. the same carving depth that a, a wood stock would have. But it looks neat. It looks laser engraved is really what it looks like. But it's the same kind of thing they do to handguns like your uh, your Glocks or even the Springfield XD you were mentioning has laser engraved stippling and yeah. engraving on it and stuff like that. That's how they make those patterns. Well, you can do the same thing with a traditional carving tool. So I could make like super cool patterns and stuff like that on it and make a halo gun or whatever and make it look futuristic with the same old classic engraving tools that I have. So I'm totally going to be doing that here pretty soon. That sounds pretty awesome. I know. It's. I was like, well, hell, I could do this. So uh, <laughs> look for me to go grab a crappy synthetic gun at a gun show <laughs> and start uh, start doing that. I mean, you could go full on geek and carve Darth Vader's head into the whole thing. Dude, that was my first thought. Like a stormtrooper <laughs> on one side and Darth Vader on the other. Yeah. Boba Fett, you know, something like that. Hell yeah. Star Wars that stuff out, man. This is my stormtrooper gun. Doesn't hit anything. Oh, God. <laughs> just just laser engraved pew pew on the side of the stock. God. Pew pew. Little stormtrooper head. 
Oh, in I mean, accuracy, I, I, we trust. I've got the laser. If you've got the uh, the steadiness at hand in order to use it, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I it, it's really hard to draw a straight line with laser. <laughs> I mean, like really hard. You got to have really, some really steady hands. <laughs> no, you kind of need a machine for that. Which is why, you know, I, I opted, because I am an artist in, in my day job and everything, so I, I, I do well with a carving tool and a, and a handpiece and stuff. So I, I'm totally going to do that. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try and do some cool things and just kind of see what happens. But thus far, I haven't had any problems, but I can't wait to work on a synthetic one. On, uh, on that note, do you got anything else? I do not. Right on. Well... Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out with us and, and downloading what is sure to be a a classic in the <laughs> in the realm of talking about our dogs, guns that we have, guns that we don't have. <laughs> and middle-aged men problems with shooting. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. If you're interested in more content like this or podcasts, check us out at hawksideguns.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.